Thank you for being here again this morning. I can't think of a better way to spend the last days of this year in worship, in prayer, and in the Word together. Let me pray as we reflect on God's Word and what it has for us this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Word. Thank you, Lord, for these words in which you've given to us that were penned by the author John, inspired by the Holy Spirit to capture that moment, knowing that many, many years later, we would sit in the tradition of the many who have sat under these words and asked, what do they mean for us? So, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would apply them to us in a way that helps us to leave here renewed, refreshed, restored, and encouraged to seek and to explore for you, to be, as John was so long ago, a voice crying in the wilderness. Here is the Lord. Here he is. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series. It's called Prologue, and we're still here. We're looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And what we have right now is this scene where we kind of stepped out of the, the metaphysical things that John has been talking about, and we have a real event here. We have the Jewish leaders been put on task to go and talk to John the baptizer and find out what is he doing? What, what is he calling out for? How is he supposed to be speaking uh, for the Lord? And these, these guys, they come to him and they ask these really big questions. They ask him, who are you and what do you mean? Are you the prophets of old? Why are you baptizing? These are huge questions. And I love that John the baptizer, who is typically not one we would regard as a good listener, right? And he listens in this particular passage, he listens to them humbly and responds to their questions in a way that points them towards Christ. The one whom he says is, I didn't even know him at first either, but now I see. And he points them towards Christ. This is the testimony, as it says in verse 9, the baptizer. Most often when we meet John in the other three Gospels, so crucial was his ministry that it's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. But in the other three accounts, you get this kind of wild man perspective of him. He's out there, he's uh, taking locusts and dunking them in honey and chomping them down. He's got legs sticking out of his teeth. He wears this camel sweater thing that's kind of weird for uh, you know, somebody to be wearing. Uh, you know, I often think when you look at Christmas traditions even today, like where did they come from? And I'm absolutely convinced that the tradition of the Christmas ugly sweater comes from John the Baptist. Because he's there with this camel hair thing, and he's chomping on these locusts and honey. And typically, when you meet John the baptizer in the Gospels, it's the, you brood of vipers, John the baptizer, right? Standing there, you know, almost imagine him kind of smashing people into the water and pulling them out, making them promise what you're repenting from today. You'd better keep fruit of that. And then the Pharisees come down, and he's aggressive to them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to come down here and flee the wrath that is to come? But in John's gospel, this prologue, in John the G, we get a little different view of John the B. 
Here he's, he's listening to their questions, and there's, there's really no hint of aggression in his response. He's actually listening to their questions and responding to them, and they ask him some more questions, and he responds with humility, even saying to them clearly, like, look, I know you think that I'm somebody really special, maybe even somebody who was raised from the dead or someone incarnate, but I'm just a voice, an alone voice that God sent to cry out into the wilderness to prepare the hearts for the coming of the Messiah. That's, that's all I am. And it's this amazing, hum, this amazing humility that he has that he points them towards Jesus. I'm just the voice. Here's the lamb. The passage continues. Like, here he is. Look, there he is right there. He's coming. I'm not even worthy to untie the guy's sandal. He's so great, and I'm, I'm just the voice. The other characters we have in this, this scene that John gives us in this prologue are the Jewish leaders, uh, unnamed specifically of who they are, but we know they were representing the priests and the Levites, and they were sent on, an in mess, on a mission of inquiry. Go and find out what this John the baptizer is talking about. Find out who he is and what he's all about and why he's out there baptizing people in the river. That should only be done in the church. What is he doing out there? So they come, and I'll tell you, it's very easy for us to, and maybe you do this too, it's so easy for us to think of these Jewish leaders or the Pharisees or Sadducees and all of these people that we, we meet in Scripture. It's very easy for us to hear of them and automatically assume that they're villains, right? Do you do that? Isn't it easy when you get to that point of the Jewish leaders coming up and they're poking their fingers at him and their crooked you know, fingers? It's easy to start to villainize them before they've even done anything. And actually, I think if you read the Gospels, you'll find in the beginning, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, they're kind of trying to figure it out too. But their hearts harden as the story goes on. And that part is, is inarguable. But at first, there's this healthy curiosity. And I think if we just automatically sort of villainize these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, and the other leaders that come and ask questions, if we automatically just villainize them and kind of write them off that way, then I think we miss a really important lesson that God may be showing us about ourselves. They're, they're Levites. I know They know exactly who they were by legacy in the story of God. And Jewish leaders, high officials in the church, memorized big parts of Scripture, spent every you know, uh, week in, in more in, in temple, studying, praying, reading, meditating, thinking, praying, doing, dressing the right way, doing all the right things. They were the best of the best. And if they were truly Jewish leaders, Pharisees, there was probably even legacy to that. My dad was a Pharisee, I'm a Pharisee, it was a proud tradition. I'm a Levite, come from a long line of Levites. And here's where it gets really chilling. Just as easy as we might say, oh, I was raised in the covenant church. They might have said the same thing. Oh, I was raised as a Levite. Always been Levites. Proud tradition. As easily as we might say, oh, I was raised in the Protestant church. They would just as easily say, I was raised in the church. Always. And I think if we automatically just write them off as villains, we miss a really important aspect about legacy and who we are and how we have to come fresh 
the gospel and receive it for ourselves, not just depending on our legacy. You see, they come to him, and in this particular moment here, there seems to be a curiosity. There's no accusation. They're asking questions. Who are you? Like, wait, what do you mean by this? And why are you doing what you're doing? But later, of course, as the story goes on, their, their questions get harder and because they're, they're seeing that Jesus doesn't meet what they expected the Messiah to look like. And so they start to get hard in their hearts. Honestly, we know it becomes an issue of pride for them, a loss of control. We're the church leaders. We're the ones who have inherited the, the message uh, from the Old Testament, the law. We know it better than anyone else. It's ours. How dare he come and change it? What authority does he have? And their hearts harden, and it really is about their pride. They don't want to lose control. And friends, at some point, they stopped asking questions, and they started making more demands. These religious leaders that come on this mission of inquiry They're religious in every possible way. But what happens to them, as the story goes on from this prologue, is that they stop seeking God himself. They stop asking questions. And their pride sets in. And they fall away. I don't read them as villains. I'm sad for them. As I'm sad for any of us that have grown up in some tradition where we've maybe heard the truth over and over again, but we stop seeking for God in a humble and an honest way. So this is the the prologue where these leaders come, and again, there's no accusation in their voice. They're like, wait, John, wait. Who are you? Like, who? Are you a prophet of old who has now come back to life? Uh, they asked him then, well, wait, who are you? Are you, a, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah, like, born again? Are you the mysterious prophet that they said would come that would be in the tradition of Moses to lead his people free? Are you that? And I love how John responds to their questions. No, no, um, I'm just here by the will of God. God spoke to my heart from the time before I was even born to be the proclaimer, to carry this message. Well, who are you? Are you supposed to be the prophet? Are you Elijah? Are you some amazing figure? I'm just a a voice crying out in the wilderness. God told me to do this, and I'm I'm obedient to that. Well, why then are you baptizing? Why? What What are you doing? And I love, again, that as these questions come forward, John, the baptizer, is responding to them with humility Questions are a really big part of the story. Questions are featured throughout the Gospel of John. Here's a list of some of them that you can see as the story goes on, many questions keep coming up. Hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Or what what sign, Jesus, are you going to show us that you have authority to do this? Famously, what, what do you mean I can be born again? Like, I'm an old man. How am I supposed to be born again? Sir, where do you get that living water? Oh, this teaching is so hard. Who, who, who could accept this? Looking plainly at Jesus, they would ask, who, who are you? The story goes on. and What do you mean you'll be, by, by saying you will be free? What, what does that mean to me? Even this one, hey, why was that man born blind? I mean, did his parents do something wrong? Were they sinners? Is that why there's struggle here? 
Sometimes we ask, can a good God allow bad things? Can an evil spirit, they ask, do Who is this son of man that, Jesus, you keep referring to yourself as? Who? And, and Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to follow you? Even down to the end, as Jesus is being tried and King Herod asks, very philosophical question, what is even truth anymore? Questions are part of the gospel story over and over again. Honest people coming before the Lord and his messengers and just asking big questions and trying to seek wisdom and inspiration and know how do, how do I fit in God's still unfolding story? What's particularly interesting about the Gospel of John, and we know that the Gospel of John is famous for its inclination towards evangelism, helping new people connect to God's story. Not only are there questions featured throughout, there's even doubt. Thomas, famously, you know, hey, I heard Jesus was risen, but hey, I'll tell you what, unless I see the nail in his hands or I put my finger right in the mark of those nails in his side, then you know what? I don't believe it. This from a man, a follower of Jesus, we're not sure exactly when he merged in and became one of Jesus' disciples, but I'll tell you what, Thomas heard and saw more amazing things than I will ever have seen, and he still had questions, and he still wrestled with doubt. And so, so often we think that we should have it all figured out with kind of easy answers. We stop seeking. We stop seeking for God. But clearly in the gospel, there are questions over and over again. John begins to approach answers. Jesus answers so many. There's even doubt throughout the story of God. And I'm talking now the entire run of Scripture from the very beginning all the way through There are over and over again men and women that have profound encounters with God. And yet they still walk away with big questions, wondering, maybe even wrestling with doubt, but still scratching towards faithfulness. They had questions. And and friends, I I think we all have questions. I think we should all have questions. I think we should open ourselves to wonder, God, who are you and what what do you have for me? We all have questions. There was a time in my life as a younger guy, uh, didn't grow up in the church, didn't have that legacy or that tradition. I did attend, you know, a Catholic school when I was a kid. Uh, so went to, you know, chapel at least once a week and then high holidays. And so I knew enough about God, but walking away from that, I really, uh, there was enough there that I didn't, I didn't hold on to much. And as I continued in my young adult life, I picked up so much wisdom from the world, kind of philosophy and, and, and science and just enough things that were like, you know what, I just don't think there is. I'm not really sure there is. And I was so convinced in my sort of atheism that there is no God and the Jesus thing is kind of weird and people who believe it seem kind of weird and, you know, they go to church all the time and it's it's just kind of strange. I was so disconnected from it that a friend was very burdened for me. And at some point she invited me to sit with one of her pastors who I knew actually had two PhDs, one in the Old Testament, the other in the New. Double doctor, right? And I was so confident in what I understood to be right 
And I was like, I don't, I'm not intimidated by that. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to challenge this guy. So we sat down for lunch. And he said, you know, I understand you have some questions about, you know, maybe Christianity or faith or something that I could help you with. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Here you go. And in typical Simon fashion, I did not stop talking for about an hour about maybe why there was no God and science is right and the evolution and all these wonderful things about the world and philosophy and Christianity and it seems like this, it's too simple and Jesus not and world religions and that. And at the end of this long diatribe in which I, very I took very few bites, he actually finished his lunch. He's sitting there just eating long, pleasantly listening to everything I said. I could tell he was listening. That's why I'm like, I got this guy. At the end of my little diatribe, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you know, boy, it really seems like you've put a lot of thought and time into this. Really seems like this means something to you. You've really thought a lot about this. And I would love to sit with you for as long as you want to maybe work through some of these questions and, and doubts you have and kind of talk through some things. I'd love that opportunity. Really. I thought he'd run screaming. Leave me with the check. So, you know, I'll tell you what, though. If we get to the point where I work through all of your questions and all your doubts, would you then be in a place where you would accept and believe the promises of Scripture and that Jesus loves you? Would you be willing to receive that if we could work through all the other stuff? Could you, could you find yourself at that place? And the smile on my face kind of dropped because I was like, wait a minute, that, you're willing to sit with me and work through all that stuff? And you still think I'm going to find Jesus on the back end of that? That's so cool. That's so great. I didn't scare him off at all. He, he didn't run screaming, think that guy's a waste. He listened. He listened humbly. He later would tell me, I didn't have all the answers to all the stuff you had either. But I sure loved listening to you. He's still a dear friend today. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you today as we close out this year. Sometimes we like to write our, you know, what we're going to do in the year ahead. I'll give you a confession to end the year. I, I still wonder sometimes. I, I still struggle with some doubts. There are times where I'm hit so overwhelmingly with these big questions about like, wait a minute, or I'll, I'll read something that kind of stimulates my thought like, oh, wait, what about everything that I'm reading in science? What about that bone they found? Or what about that space? Or what about that... And I start to get overwhelmed with this feeling like, wait, is this right? Am I, am I, is this, is this real? And the first couple times that happened, especially as I answered the call to, to go into pastoral ministry, I was getting a little nervous about that. Like, is that a little weird, you know, that I get these feelings every now and then, these questions and these wonderings? And I thought, no, no, it's not. I mean, you know, it's easy to go, well, I'm just being tempted or I'm just, you know, maybe there's something wrong or I'm being tried in some way. But and maybe that's true. But honestly, those questions actually seek me, seek for me, or encourage me to seek for God even more. I take those questions now and those kind of longing doubts, and I go back into the Word and back into prayer and back among good counsel and ask and wonder and seek. And by that, my faith, I feel, is deepened, not, not shaken. Because again, I think we all have questions and we all wonder. Friends, this is partly why we're going to be a part of this Explore God series. And if you can't tell, I'm really excited about it. It starts in just a couple of weeks. Sunday, January 13th will be our first Sunday. We're going to look at the seven biggest questions that people have about faith, life, God, and Christianity. 
The discussion groups that I mentioned to you last week will precede these teachings where you get a chance and to gather even with friends and neighbors that you have that have big questions, maybe like Simon was before, and just say, hey, I understand you have some thoughts about life or faith or God or not God, and I'd love to hear them. Would you be willing to sit with me for a couple weeks and maybe go over some questions and just have a great conversation? Because the conversations are where God can work. He can work with somebody who's willing to ask the questions and share their hearts. So it's seven weeks of big questions, things like, does life have a purpose? Is there really a God out there somewhere? And if there is, then why would he allow for pain and for suffering? Is Christianity too narrow, too narrow-minded? Aren't we all kind of heading the same direction? Wait, so you're saying that Jesus really is God himself? Is that true? Is this Bible reliable? Does that make any sense? Can I even know God on a personal level? Can God know me personally? And we're going to work through these questions here on Sunday mornings with respect and intelligence and compassion and an openness to hear and allow God to move. But I want you to have the opportunity to dialogue about these things again with Maybe friends that you have that are, that are not sure. But honestly, I'll tell you this. I think many of us who are here today and part of our body, we have these questions. I think many of us have these questions. We can sometimes kind of comfort ourselves with maybe quick, easy answers of, you know, well, of course there's a God. Uh, I've always believed there was. But can you, can you demonstrate that? Can you talk about it in a way that's intelligent? How would you answer some of these questions. How would you respond? Maybe you'd say, well, I've just always believed, or I, oh gosh, I've just always been part of the church, I suppose. I just, I, just, I guess I just sort of grew up that way. It's okay to ask the questions. I have a short video for you here. It's part of the Explore God material that, that I think will continue a little bit from a different perspective why it's okay for us as people of faith to still ask questions. There are so many people asking big questions, questions beyond like your job and your kids and your money and things like that. People are asking spiritual questions. When I lay my head on the pillow at night, uh, I kind of begin to ask those big questions of, all right, there's got to be more to this life than, than what I see and um, what I experience because at the end of the day, um, my, my heart gets very discontent. And so uh, that just leads me to asking the questions of, okay, there, there's got to be more, and if there is more, then what is that more? Is this really real, you know? What if it's all in my imagination? No, I find that that people so quickly and easily ride it off, but they never actually take the time to search. And you know, I used to think the same thing. I, I remember sitting there, you know, hearing this stuff, and I'd think, how do they know Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, who says? And you know, how do you know it's not just myth? I mean, there have been lots of people who claim, you know, they're gods or the Son of God. I thought it was myth, but I just hadn't taken the time to really look. It's really exciting about this series, not 
only are we going to have, like I said, the teaching on Sundays, but we're also going to have the discussion groups. And in your bulletin, there are a list there of the few that we're going to have going so far. We'll have one at Corner Bakery that starts on Sunday afternoons. Pastor Lars will conduct that. I'll have a group on Wednesdays that will meet parallel to youth ministry. By the way, youth will also be wrestling through these questions together, as well as children's ministry. There's a really great children's curriculum that will allow our kids to have conversations about these things. And I believe that Explore God is going to do three things for us. It's going to encourage us in our faith. It's going to encourage us to seek deeper the truths and promises of Scripture. You know, there's a two, two passages that come to mind as we reflect on this opportunity for us to explore God together. One of them is Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 tells us this. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Conduct yourselves wisely, it says, towards outsiders. And I think one of the things that we have to really own as a church, not just this one, but the church overall, is that many of us don't really walk in wisdom towards the things that we believe. And many of us, because of that maybe insecurity or not really sure what to say, we don't walk towards outsiders to say, what do you think? How do you believe? There's, there's another passage here, which is 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 15, verse 15, where it tells us, um, be hospitable uh, with one another and be a good stewards of the great, sorry, uh, it is, sorry, always be ready to give reason to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have within you. Always be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks you, why do you have this hope that is in you? Explore God is going to give us, sorry, three, three things. Number one, it's going to open our doors wider to those who are spiritually curious, maybe even skeptical, those who truly wonder, is there room in God's story for me? I believe Explore God is also going to sharpen us as a body. We're going to get better at understanding and walking in wisdom and being equipped to be able to have good conversations with friends, neighbors, fellow students, co-workers who also have questions. But I, I believe Explore God will also encourage us to seek deeper, a more exciting understanding of who God is, the life that He's calling us to, and the eternal life that He's called us to enjoy. I believe He's going to use this tool to sharpen us as well. There are uh, discussion group materials and home group materials as well. And if you, how many of you have seen the signs around lately, around town, billboards and things? Lots of you, because they're everywhere. We also have a few of these yard signs, and so they're out there in the foyer. We don't have tons of them, but if you'd like one and you don't get one, email me. I'll be happy to be giving. There's one plunked right in front of our house. Obviously, we have one out front here as well. Uh, especially if you live on a busy street, it'd be great to see these out there and just continue to support the over 600 churches that God has called together to open our doors wider to those who seek and wonder. John was there when the Jewish leaders came and they had questions. And he listened to their questions. And he answered humbly, look, I'm, I'm just the voice that God anointed to cry out in the wilderness. But he listened to their questions. He answered them humbly. 
and he pointed them towards Christ. When he testified, starting in verse 32, he says, I testified, for I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remained on Jesus. I myself didn't know him, but the one who had sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I myself have seen and have testified that this is, that this is the Son of God. Lord, I pray today that for any of us that are here this morning, that have maybe never given ourselves permission to wonder or to seek, that you would encourage us to do so. Father, that we would take seriously that command to walk in wisdom towards outsiders and use this tool you've given us, this movement you've called us into to join the 600 plus churches in Chicago area that are inviting friends, new friends, to come and to seek and to explore for God. Lord, I pray that you would use this series to open our doors wide to those who still wonder, maybe even are skeptical and wonder, is there room for me in God's story? Lord, I pray that you would use this series to sharpen us in a full embrace of the truth of who you are and the grace you've given to us and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would do amazing things together as we begin using tools like this to be part of that tradition of John the Baptizer, to stand in the public spaces and proclaim your good name. This is the Son of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, I'd like us to sing hymn number 195. Hymn number 195, Shine, Jesus Shine.